left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Anthony Weiner. I am the left part of Left versus Right. Thank you so much for joining us today. Curtis is going to be joining us in the second hour, and everyone here at WABC Studios is a little bit nervous because this is the first time that I'm standing at the A microphone taking calls and starting us off. I'm a little nervous myself, to be honest with you. This Left versus Right slugfest thing so far, mm. mostly it's been Curtis carrying me because he is, let's face it, Perhaps the most iconic person on radio nowadays. I mean, I grew up, feels like I grew up listening to Curtis. Curtis and I have spent a lot of time circling each other in political and press worlds as, uh, as we've both developed. Um, this is an exciting moment for me. I'm really glad that you're joining us. Our call in line is 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Let me talk a little bit about what we're going to do this first hour, and we're going to try to pick up a little bit of what Curtis and I have been doing the last the last few weeks as we've tried this thing out, um, the response has been very good. People have been tuning in and listening. But there's also been kind of like a question about whether or not we're really living up to this ideal that John Cancibatinas had in mind when he put us together, this notion of this left-right, well, what, what the lead-in bumper says. Like, has it been enough of a slugfest? Because as it turns out, Curtis and I have many cases agreed with one another and Maybe that's good, maybe it's not. But I have a theory that I want to share with you, and maybe we have a chance to take some calls about it, and I'm going to try to give you a couple of examples. I have a theory that part of the reason we are so divided as a country is because a lot of the media is constructed in this very left versus right way, and that it is in the interest, perhaps, of some of these companies, and WABC is not among them. I'm sitting here, you know, Anthony Weiner clearly a, a, a well-known, progressive, liberal person. Um, WABC is not among them. We're trying something a little bit different here. But I come from a, perhaps a different place than most progressive left congressmen, elected officials, media pundits come from. And I'll tell you what I mean. When, when I came up in politics, I represented a city council district in southern Brooklyn in Sheepshead Bay and in Manhattan Beach and Brighton Beach that when I left it, um, it became Republican. It's a Republican district today. It, it is not a knee-jerk leftist district. It's not a very progressive liberal district. And because of that, when I represented it in the city council, I had to be pretty good on figuring out not only how to speak to people that agreed with me all the time, but people who I wanted to persuade. And I also had to be pretty good at persuading my constituents at the time that I was listening to them, that just because I had a D next to my name didn't mean that I wasn't listening to them. When I went on to become a member of Congress, one of, you know, a couple of the things that I was known for was known for advocating for single-payer health care. I was known for advocating strongly for Democratic, you know, office holders and advocating for them. I, when I ran for mayor, as I ran as a Democrat. But I represented 
some of the more conservative quarters of New York City. I represented places like Glendale and Middle Village and Breezy Point and Broad Channel. And even on the Brooklyn side of my district, I represented places like Borough Park and Flatbush and Sheepshead Bay and others. Now, I didn't always do well there uh, um, every every first uh, Tuesday following the first Monday in November of every even year. I, I you know, I sometimes had to work really hard. Um, in 2010, the last time that I stood for re-election, I ran against a guy named Bob Turner, and it was right after Obamacare had passed. And um, that was a tough election. He gave me a run for my money, and when I left and I resigned, and I'm going to get to that um, in a minute, uh, Bob Turner wound up winning my seat. Um, and, but the thing that I – the reason I point that out in the context of this show is that when Obamacare was being debated – uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi, who I think she was the speaker at the time, she sent out an email to all of her members saying, listen, we're getting our butts kicked in, the, in, in, in these town hall meetings and we're getting our butts kicked in the media. Her recommendation was lay low. Do your best to try to turn down the volume. And I had not, not only did I not lay low, I had 18 town hall meetings all around my district and some of the most conservative parts of my district included on Obamacare. And what I found is that when you honor people by showing that you're going to stand up in front of them and defend your position but also hear what they have to say, it winds up being a good conversation. It becomes a very American patriotic thing to be doing even if you are on the wrong side of the issue in the terms of the way someone might be discussing it. They do develop a respect and that respect is what leads me to be sitting here today um, talking to all of you. Um, Curtis is going to be coming in in the second hour, but in the interim, you, dear listener, are going to be that other side. But let me tell you another thing that I think is a truism about American politics today. We are not a 50-50 country. We are not a country where half of us believe one thing and half of us believe the other. It might sometimes sound that way. It might sometimes appear that way. Um, but again, we we are – we live in a media environment where conflict and even the name of our show, Left Versus Right, you know, our, the logo for our podcast, you can get it, the Big Apple Podcast, um, the Red Apple Podcast Network. Even the logo is two boxing gloves. When we had our press conference announcing it, you know, the photographer asked me to put on the boxing gloves and I said, that's a step, a step too far. But I don't believe we're a 50-50 country. I believe we are a 10-10-50-30 country. And here's what I mean. I believe that 10% of our country – believes that every single thing that the Democrats say is true and gospel. Every single thing a Democratic office holder, including the president, says is true and gospel. And they will violently dissuade you from even having a conversation entertaining the idea that any other opinion is correct. And then I think 10 percent is on the other side. That says that anything that Joe Biden does is irretrievably evil that anything a Republican office holder does is absolutely right, that anything Donald Trump has ever done is absolutely right, and that anyone who disagrees with them is not only, uh, not only someone they don't agree with, but someone they can't even tolerate being in the same room with. So that's 10% on each side. And then I think there's a 50% group that I call the CSPs, the common sense persuadables. They are the people that are the ones that decide elections. There's the ones that decide, you know, the direction of our country ultimately. And I think that those are the people for whom politics and public debates are not the be-all and end-all. 
They are a part of their life, but they're not the purpose of their life. That they look at it things through the lens of how does this impact the future of my family? How does this make my life? How do these things impact my life? What kind of a, a, a world do I want my children growing up in, et cetera? And they want to hear what you have to say, and they're not dummies. They're smart people. If they, if they think you're trying to Zoom them or they're not being respectful or if you think that you're not bringing facts to the table, then they'll go in the other direction. So that's 50%. So for those of you doing the math at home, including my math teacher mom, Fran Wiener from Midwood High School, that's 50% is those swedos, 10% of the extremes. And then there's 30% who I hope tune into this show. And those are the people who have checked out. They have said to themselves, you know what? This isn't on the level. This is performance art. This is the Christians and the Lions. This is WWE, with all due respect and deference to my friend Peter Rosenberg. It's not legit. And to those people, this country cannot be all it aspires to be without their engagement. And I want this program to be a place that they can come, hear two people discussing the issues, and have a sense that, you know what? All right, maybe I should listen in again. I do get a sense that, that they're not calling people names. They're not yelling at each other and shouting at each other. They do have a sense of respect for one another. So that's the way I look at you, the radio audience. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe those numbers are off. I want to hear what you have to say. Like I said, you're playing the part for the first hour of Curtis's, of Curtis. You know, f- feel free to, 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 to dial in. I've got a subject I'm going I'm to raise here in a moment. 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC. And I want to make one final uh, of, uh, final point. You know, so that's my view of what I think the audience is. But where does that leave me? Where does that leave me, Anthony Weiner, right now trying to figure out how to do a radio show for the first time? And I guess with that, I have a couple of kind of principles. You know, first, I consider all ideas honorable. You don't have to be right, in my opinion, to, be, to, have an honor, to, to honorably approach a, a, an idea. And I do believe the facts are real. I don't believe that facts are sometimes this or sometimes that. I believe that ideas are to be honored and that facts are to be respected. The second thing I believe in and that I hope that we do on this show is go below the surface. Um, Joe Biden is a jerk is a position, but I don't consider that something that gets us to a place. Even subjects like bail reform. Let's end um, cash uh, bail, which is what uh, some progressives say. Let's bring it back, some conservatives say, but let's figure out what's beneath that. Where do, okay, so what do you do with the human beings if you're not going to give them cash bail when we have Rikers at 160% of capacity? So I believe in getting below the surface. And the final thing is a little bit about me. I believe that I not only respect the debate, but I also want to respect the participants. Um, this may be ironic coming from me, but I don't think yelling during a debate gets her very far. Gentleman no, thinks that if he gets up and yells hard, he's going to intimidate people into believing he's right. He is wrong. The gentleman is wrong. The gentleman is providing cover for his colleagues rather than doing the right thing. So <laughs> I, I, I wanted that cut to be ironic. Um, I realize now I sounded really nuts in that clip, but that you should know. That was from 2010. We were debating. Now I was someone I, I do call a friend. Peter King, who's on, on, on air here frequently and I enjoy listening to. Um, I, it was great TV. It was great, a YouTube moment, but I don't believe that it got the debate very far, and I respect the participants. And that brings to me, um, 
I know that there are many people within the sound of this broadcast, 50,000 watts of clear channel going all the way up to Canada, all the way south to Louisiana, going as far west as the, as the, as the Mississippi River, who might say, you know, Anthony Weiner, I have no time for Anthony Weiner talking about being respectful when he has done things that I don't respect. And I can't argue with that point. You've heard me talk about it on this show. There are things that, that are in my past that I did in in a period of what can only be described as madness and and under um, compulsions that were driven by addiction that I now I'm in treatment and recovery for. But if someone wants to call up and say, listen, I believe what you did and the things that you did, I can never forgive you for. And I believe that you don't haven't earned my respect. I, I, you know what? I don't think it, I don't plan on talking long about it. But if people want to call and say that, I, I understand that I've got that coming. You, I wouldn't be on the radio if I didn't think that we had to address that elephant in the room. But what I will say is this, is part of my recovery is uncovering and not, um, and not hiding and not being living in shame and talking honestly about things. And one of the ways that I hope to be of service, the way I hope of practicing my 12-step is to be here on the radio so people can say, you know what, he's trying. He's trying to further the debate. He's trying to have a conversation that is valuable. He's trying to change the way that we have conversations in this, in this country and, and, and in our area for the better. Um, and so if you do want to call in and you want to talk about that, you want to call me a funny name, if you want to say something, I mean, like I said, it's not going to get us very far, but um, I appreciate that people have those, those thoughts about me. And I know that I owe many people within the sound of this broadcast an immense I had constituents that I let down, um, no more than I let down um, my son Jordan and uh, my now ex-wife Huma. Um, but uh, I hope that we can also have a show here that provides some element of service because I know there are a lot of people out there um, who have gone through things that are much worse than I have um, that I have ever gone uh, uh, gone through and have come out the other side. And hopefully, I can be of service to them. So when we get back. We're, I'm going to talk about one of those issues and just set it up and because um, uh, I want to hear what you have to say. And just so for those of you who tuned in a little bit late, Curtis is going to be coming in for the for the second hour. Um, hopefully he's listening on his way in and, and gives me some some tips. In the meantime, I encourage you all to call in 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC. And when we come back on the other side, we're going to have a conversation about inflation. But not the conversation you are used to having, Um, not the conversation about what government has done wrong, what Biden has done right or wrong, not a conversation about um, about some law that might need to get passed, although we'll eventually get to there. But basically a conversation about what someone like me, who is a Democrat but believes strongly in capitalist markets, what responsibility I have. And what I have to say about some of the accusations that this is a government problem. And we'll take you out with the voice of Roger Daltrey and The Who. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right. In the right corner, it's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa. In the left corner, it's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 
on New York's news and talk station, 77 WABC. Welcome back, everyone, to Left versus Right, Curtis Leo and Anthony Weiner Show. Curtis is going to be checking in in the second hour. By the way, that song, you know, when I first heard it growing up in New York, woke up in a Soho Doria. I thought they meant New York, but, you know, this is the when it's, it's, it's funny. The who was the first, my first entree into real music. I, I was uh, I was a guy who liked, the, who liked Kiss when I was, uh, you know, just starting to like music. I like Kiss and who was the first sign of I was starting to mature. Um, but no, it's not Soho in uh, the in uh, south of Houston. It's someplace over the pond. Um, so I set out who I thought, you know, what I wanted the debate to be like, what I wanted the conversation to be like. And I want to talk a little bit about um, inflation and the cost of goods and what we should do about it and a way to look at it. And I see the board's already filling up. I've got a couple of calls about it. Joe in Union City is waiting to talk about it. But let me set something up here. And for those of you who would like to call in, be part of the conversation, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. So it's a bit of a trick question to start. So what causes inflation? Well, people might say it's the cost of this or the cost of that or monetary policy or fiscal policy. But the answer that I was looking for was, well, when prices go up, when companies – Purveyors of services and products raise their prices. You know, you can get into why they do it, and it could be any number of reasons, but ultimately it comes to why it, that's what we're talking about. So we've seen a rise in just about every type of price, gasoline first among them. You know, we've had rise in prices 25, 30, 40% recently. But it's not just that. Amazon, for example, recently raised their price of Amazon Prime, went up, I guess, 17%. Um, Netflix just got a text that Netflix had raised our price 10.7 percent. Nike has raised their prices in the last several weeks by about 10.5 percent. FedEx raised their prices between 6 and 8 percent. They're raising their prices. Now, one argument that would be made by them is that, look, there's our cost of everything is going up. Energy prices are going up. The cost of labor is going up. As more people return to the workforce, it's harder to find workers. And it's not just those kind of luxury things that I listed. I mean, you can do without Amazon. You can do without Netflix. But the cost of beef has gone up 32%. The cost of chicken has gone up 20%. The cost of pork has gone up 13%. I mean, protein is now, these things have gone up through the roof. But what is not, what is not discussed enough, um, and this is true on the left and on the right, what is not discussed enough is, I mean, is, why that is happening from the perspective of these companies and whether or not they're using what are natural things going on in the economy to their advantage and are gouging us. And there's a lot of data that shows that it's the case. Now, I don't want to minimize the conversation that some people have had about things like the XL pipeline and drilling, and I'm fine talking about those things. And I see a few people on the board who want to, and that's fine. But I'm going to give you some facts here. Amazon's quarterly profits, and remember, I just said that they raised their their pricing. Amazon's quarterly profits were up 75%, $35 billion. Netflix quarterly profits 
were up 96%. Nike's quarterly profits last quarter were up 125%. FedEx is up 307%. And so I say to you that, okay, there are some things out there that are driving prices up, but at what point do you start to say, huh, I wonder if these companies are using the 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 sense that we have that, okay, prices are going up to make the prices not only go up what they need to for them to make a profit, but use it as an opportunity to squeeze us for every last time. And gas prices is, is the, the one that, that is most galling to me. Because while there's been a lot of talk about what government should or should not do, and like I said, I believe there are some things that, that we should do, and I have largely agreed with Curtis on some of the things that we've, that we've talked about. You know, there are this conversation about should we let more drilling on federal lands where there are 6,000 federal leases that are out there now that haven't even been tapped. The, the, the companies have, but they just haven't used. So ExxonMobil, BP, Shell, and Chevron combined had $30 billion in quarterly profits in the last quarter. And for those of you who have not been keeping track of the futures market, the, the, the price of oil has actually dropped from about 140 to 100, under $100. We didn't see a drop at the pump. And the question I'm asking is where does this fit on the left-right divide? I mean do people who are liberal believe that Jeff Bezos should make $81 billion more during COVID? He, he went from being a, a, a hundred billionaire, which is plenty, to now being worth $186 billion. While the rest of us have been struggling, he is doing amazingly well. So much. How about this for a crazy number? The top two richest people in America – now make as much as the bottom 40%, including everybody on the, uh, uh, everybody within the sound of my voice just about. So I understand we want to argue about what government can and, and can't do. But one thing that we certainly can do is say to a company like Tyson, hey, Tyson, you're raising the price of beef 32%, chicken 20%, pork 13%. You made a quarterly profit of $40 billion, which is 140% increase from the quarter before. Maybe. Just maybe we should be saying to them, look, you're doing very well here. Let's return a little something to the American people. Let's do let's be responsible, particularly in a moment where the world is quite literally um, literally at war. Just a little food for thought to get us started today. Let's go to the phones. Like I said, if you'd like to be part of the conversation, this is left versus right. Curtis Sliwa is coming in at three. Um, I'm taking it until then. Um, I'm still a little bit nervous. I haven't broken anything yet here. Dial in if you like. 800 848 WABC 800-848-9222. And I I mentioned that we had a call on the board about oil prices. Um, It looks like he's he's fallen off. I'm sorry that he has. Um, But let me me go to someone who wanted to talk about my theory about the opening year. Roy in Brooklyn wants to talk a little about my theory of how voters are divided up out there. Hey, Roy, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm well, Roy. Thank you for calling. Yeah, let me first congratulate you for bouncing back. Uh, you you really amazed me, and uh, I don't agree with um, much of your political positions, but I do respect you. So that's uh, one thing I'd like to say. And I thank you, and I respect you, Roy. What do you have to say today? <laughs> well, the one thing um, uh, you said earlier was that um, the elections were broken down by 50, 30, 10, and 10. And if if that were true— why is it that during the Obama election, the blacks voted 92 percent along racial lines? That always disturbed me because I never thought that 
our Constitution should be, you know, written in such a way that people vote along racial lines. Look, it's a, it's a fair question, and you can do a lot of analysis about why some communities, and it's not just racial uh, racial division. There are some, you know, neighborhoods that have traditionally voted a certain way. Now, it's uh, it's not the best possible example since people in the, in communities of color, African American particular, m- uh, voted in enormous numbers for Barack Obama out of a sense of pride, out of out of a sense of uh, in in combining with his fact that he's a Democrat, and that's traditionally been a place. That um, that many communities of color have felt more comfortable. I mean, when John Katsimatidis ran for uh, for the the owner of uh, of the station ran for mayor, the Greek American community turned out. I mean, I think they actually had 140 percent of Greek votes uh, uh, turned out for him. I don't think that that's necessarily a problem. But the point that I was making is not even how people vote; it's how people approach issues of the day. And the point that I was making, Roy, and I really do appreciate your checking in, the point that I was making is that people are not dogmatic about how they break down issues, by and large. By and large, if they, they look at an issue, they'll listen to the conversation, they'll try to make an informed decision for themselves, and that there's a lot more give there than sometimes people get the impression when they listen to talk radio. And talk radio, and I understand why, talk radio is the opinion business, but here at WABC, we try to do news and views, news at the top of our straight down the middle and then views. But if the views are only people that are 100 percent certain that what they're saying is the gospel truth and that everyone who argues against them is venal, that's where I think we miss the boat with that 50 percent. That was the point that I was making about the 50 percent. Um, let's try uh, Adrian and Bayside who calling in about Obamacare. How are you doing, Adrian? Hey, Mr. Weiner. How are you? I'm well, thank God. Okay. I wanted to address the uh, Obamacare that you mentioned early on. At the time I was working, I am currently retired. But I want you to know that I was paying for my own uh, insurance, health insurance at the time. And my health insurance right after Obamacare went, it it jumped up by over, over 50%. Okay, so... uh, my inflation, my own personal inflation occurred during the Obamacare. I hear you. Well, Adrian, let me ask you, let, let me ask you a question. Are you, are you have a private insurance policy now? No. Are, are no, you, I have uh, Medicare now. Medicare. Do you like Medicare? Do I like Medicare? Yeah. Yes, I like Medicare. Well, here's why I ask. You know, Medicare is single-payer, government-run health care, just like um, – the Indian Health Service, just like the Veterans Administration, just like Medicaid. And I point that out because, you know, when people talk about their critique of Obamacare, and Obamacare is not single-payer health care. It's not. It's, ins- it's, it's a private insurance model. I would have done it differently. But it argues basically that if we, the American people, all get together and we start to buying things as a group, we can use market forces to bring down costs. Now, the fact is that these years after Medicaid was passed in 2010, the average price for an uninsured, for an uninsured person to go out and get insurance and the free, on the open market, so to speak, is reduced by about 40%. It's less than it used to be. And the insurance companies still are doing fine. But if you're on Medicare, you are on a single-payer system. You should go out and say to your neighbors, I love single-payer health care. And that's the point that I've always made is that we don't need to reinvent any wheel. We have this very American solution called Medicare, 
and that that is a model that works for us. You don't have to talk about the Canadian system or the British system. Um, Obamacare is not exactly what I've always advocated for, but I think that we've learned now these years later that um, that the um, that the single payer model of Medicare really has worked for a lot of people. Uh, let's go to Ralph in New Rochelle. Ralph, what do you have to say today? It's a great first off. It's great first off to hear you back on the radio. I hope you do well. Thank you, Ralph. And just questioning: Do these corporations? pay taxes on these profits that they generate? Not enough, in no. my view. I well, mean, no, 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 I didn't ask you. Not enough. I guess, do they pay taxes on those profits? In most cases, in most cases. Taxes yeah, on it, payroll for the people that work for them? In most cases, well, that's different. They, they pay payroll tax, but they don't pay taxes much on profit. Do you know how many of the, of, of the top of, of the Fortune 500 companies pay zero tax? About yeah, 25% of them pay zero tax. And actually, Amazon, let me just make this point. Amazon's taxes during that period, they, their taxes actually went down during, that, during the period of COVID. Well, then why is it that politicians like to give all these tax breaks to have those businesses to come in to certain areas to generate jobs? Why is that that it's a, you know, a giveaway for the large corporation, but that they want them there? Is that because they foster other economic activity that help the people in, in that, you know, area? Well, it's 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 a it's a it's a great question. And Ralph put together two different issues, but they're related in a way. First of all, it, it is almost beyond dispute at this point that major corporations have ways of making sure that they don't pay their fair share of taxes. It is an easy thing to do to make sure that they do. One of the things you can do is you can say if you make – pick a number. Let's say 100 percent profit, 60 percent profit. You can simply say for every dollar you make over that point, 50 percent of it we're going to take back for the people of the, of the, of the country and give everyone a, a little bit of a break. If we said to BP, for example, you can make profits, but when you start making exorbitant profits, we're going to take some of that money and we're going to give it to people so that they can afford to buy gas. But the second question you raise is, is actually an interesting one. It is this notion that we fall over ourselves as municipalities, as cities and states, to try to encourage these companies to move their businesses into our town. Um, Those things have very mixed results. Now, I don't want to relitigate the Amazon thing here in New York where Amazon had chosen to come to New York and the the people of the the, – basically Amazon changed their mind when they get – when when they got uh, too, too much resistance. I don't know if that's a great deal. I mean we said no to Amazon and I – Probably if I was mayor at the time, I would have fought to, to have them come here, but I'm not, I'm not sure I, I, I wasn't mayor at the time. Um, but I can tell you this. We've done an enormous amount of economic activity without providing incentives. And if, say, Goldman Sachs, they got a giant billion-dollar incentive to stay in New York, were they really going to move to Jersey City, home of the, one of the best college basketball teams in the country? Um, they might have, but I think that we too often throw tax dollars at those folks at well, as well. But – I think we're at least having the same conversation. You know, Ralph and I, we might not agree politically, but we both agree with this notion of making sure that we're getting value. If these companies are going to pay their fair share of taxes, I I don't think I would have the beef that I have today. But the point that I'm making is there wasn't anything forcing Amazon to raise their prices the way they did. They made extraordinarily uh, high amounts of, of profit and inflation or not. 
they are taking advantage of the situation today beyond their need. They're they're way beyond the rate of inflation of 5%, 6%, They're making 50 60 70% profits, and I think that that is, 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 is what the issue is. But like I said um, – there might be also there might be government policies that are in, 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 in that, that, that should be changed, like tax policy, like the way we we allow companies to offshore the money that they that they get. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, um, we can control we control government policy. That's what we like to talk about on a lot of these shows. And one of the things we can do is a windfall profits tax. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about how that might look if we were to provide one of those tax cuts because that would be a tax cut for them, a tax increase for them, but potentially a tax cut for all of you. Please join us when we come back. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station. 77 WABC. Hey, the Who really does have a lot of intros that are good for radio. They kind of they have those little dial in slowly. Um, once again, welcome back to Left versus Right. Curtis Leo and Anthony Weiner. Curtis will be coming in at three o'clock. This is Anthony Weiner. It's uh, really my honor that you are joining us today. Um, if you'd like to get into the queue, eight hundred eight four eight WABC eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Just to reset the table, I kind of laid out at the beginning this notion that we're not a 50-50 country, that we're more kind of, we have fringes on both the left and the right, but basically most people, what I call CSPs, common sense, um, uh, uh, common sense persuadables. And uh, we've been talking a little bit about inflation, energy prices, tax policy. It's been an interesting conversation so far. Let's keep it going. And we have Peter in Staten Island. Peter, thank you for checking in today. Hi, Anthony. I want, first of all, I want to thank you. You know, you weren't one of the first people that uh, jumped in to help with this, the Droga Act over 20 years ago. And I remember it. I was reminded of it by somebody that called in Curtis's show last night. And I just want to thank you. You were there. I'm probably alive because of you and other people that fought because I have bad respiratory problems from the pile. I would do it over and over again, the little help that I did that day. And for about three days after, I had to get out of there when they came in because they had all the uh, gold and stuff in the building, and it only they could, they made all the civilians leave. So I left at that point. Probably that's why I'm still alive today. But uh, I just want to thank you. Well, I want to I want to thank you, Peter, and honor you. You know, <clears throat> it's it's decades now since September 11th, and. Um, there are still people who are listening to this program now who are slowly, and this is a tragic thing to say, who are slowly dying because of their service that day. Um, and the fact that it took, boy, it took about two decades for finally Congress to do the right thing to provide health care to those first responders. And I want to 
want to commend you for sticking in there. Um, it really wasn't a proud period for Congress. I know I made a little fun of the fact that I was yelling on the floor of Congress, but it did take us way too long to to um, to pay tribute and do the right thing by the, the the first responders down there. But I appreciate your you checking in, Peter. Um, next, let's go to uh, Mac in Jersey, in New Jersey. Hey, hi, Anthony. How are you? Thanks uh, for taking my call. I'm well, Mac. Thank you for calling. I, I like the premise, left versus right. Uh, I've been in a 12-step program for 24 years, so I always believe in giving everybody a chance. Thank you, sir. Uh, and I applaud you for that. That's great. It's, that's the, what you addressed when you first came on the air. My thought was how people will view you on this particular network, because this particular network is one of the last standing conservative networks where we really have a voice uh, as conservatives, as opposed to like the major media networks. And do you think people will try to say that this network lost its credibility because, look, they have Anthony Weiner on there? You know, I think that's not fair. But everything has become so political uh, in this country that I could see that possibly happening. And I have heard conservatives like Hannity, uh, badmouth Alec Baldwin as a radio host, several times. So, you know, this is what people do in this country now. They, we don't vote for the person we like. We vote against the person we hate. And hate is in everything. So I just wanted your take on how you feel about being on a conservative network. Yeah, it's it's a great question, and 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 thank you, Mac. I appreciate it, and uh, keep keep up the good work. Look, this is a question I've actually given a lot of thought to because people have asked it to me a lot. And there's two ways to approach it. One is, what is John Katzmatidis, who owns this network? What was he thinking when he tried to put this show together and gave me this opportunity? And I think from his perspective, I think he probably believes that there is nothing about being conservative that is being afraid of hearing what the other side has to say. That, that if, you, if you believe that your entire audience just wants to hear one person after another that agrees with, 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 with the, the, per, the last person they heard, that's one way to do a network. But another way to do it is to say, listen, we are going to stick to our knitting. We're going to have people with viewpoints. But we we are going to honor the debate by having different viewpoints on. And I got to tell you, you know, I I don't mind a good debate, as I said in the introduction. But the question I get is frequently from my more liberal friends is, you know, why don't you go on like MSNBC or something like that? I have no interest in that for a different reason, because I do believe that we only move forward as a country when we have the friction that happens with a competition of ideas. I don't believe – I believe that at WABC on a 50,000-watt station that has been around for 100 years now, that is one of the most august and famous brand names really in in radio history, that there are going to be people who tune in on a rainy Saturday afternoon and who might say, you know what? I'm hearing a little something different. I'm hearing Curtis and Anthony going back and forth on issues. They're respecting each other. They're airing out their differences. They're bringing some facts to the table. They're bringing a perspective to the table. I think that's the way we move forward as a country. Now, I could be wrong, and it could be that people really like it the way it is with everyone in their own little corner, in their own little silo. But I'm prayerful that that that's not the case. Um, and as far as you know, what people might think of me, and Mac, you'll appreciate this, this expression because it comes from the program, what other people think of me is none of my business. What I've got to try to do 
is um, is stick to what I think is the next right thing to do. And my way of being of service is to try to talk about these ideas. And if people disagree with me, I mean, I hope they don't turn off the radio. I hope they say, hey, this sounds a little bit different. I want to hear more. Um, but that's but who knows? It, 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 it might be that that all, all we really need is a bunch of stations where we can listen to people that we agree with. But I hope that's not the case. Um, let's go to Leo in Flatbush. Leo, you're on. Hey, how you doing? I'm well, Leo. How are you? Good. Hey, by the way, I hold you in high regard. Um, as a representative from the South Shore of Brooklyn, uh, and I know you're a Queens guy, but you represented New York in front of the House of Representatives regarding health care for our fallen veterans and our first responders in a way that was unbelievable. And I thank you for that. Thank you, Leo. And now I'm going to disagree with you. Excellent. Corporations pay taxes. They pay taxes on every end. So to say they don't pay, quote, income tax is a total misrepresentation and a liberal talking point. If you buy a hot dog for a dollar and sell it for $2, as you did that, you just drove it somewhere, which cost you gas. You just set up a counter, which costs you rent. And you hired somebody to put it on a roll and put mustard on it. When you paid them, the government also took payroll taxes, Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare. So when you say that corporations got away with paying no taxes, it's really a terrible lie. I, I think I think I, I think I got out over my skis with that. That's not true that they don't pay taxes. I, but let me ask you this question, Leo, because I'm interested in this. If a ExxonMobil, in this period of, of international strife, drives the price, decides to raise the price by 70% when their cost of goods, cost of employment, cost of taxes goes up 20, 25%. Do they bear in, like, where is the philosophy from that makes you advocate for them? Like, why should, what should we, why should we not say, okay, you've, you're taking advantage of a situation now and our policy should be you can take advantage to a certain point, but no more. I'm not saying, I'm fine with ExxonMobil making profits. But at what point do they take this the international strife that exists, the cost increases that we're seeing in other places, and use it as an excuse to gouge? Where does price gouging, where does profit, reasonable profit stop and price gouging begin in your view, Leo? Okay. Well, I will not use the name ExxonMobil. I will just use any oil company. No reason to disparage anybody. But in today's world, What's happening right now, as far as the prices of gasoline, have nothing to do with cost, supply. It's all political. It's really terrible what's happening. And it's really happening on the back of the little guy like me. A hundred percent. And I'm an independent, you know. And if you want me to comment on how Exxon sets their prices or any oil company sets their oil prices, I will not do that. Yeah, I, I hear I you. What I will say is, but what I will say is that on one morning when I check the price of crude and it's ninety eight dollars, I see the price of gas at the pump, and then when I see it at one hundred and twenty, the price of the pump goes up much faster. <laughs> exactly. Then it comes down when it's back to ninety. 
Exactly. Exactly. Well, I appreciate that, Leo. And and I and I think everyone agrees that that we we look at this futures price that goes up by 20 percent and the price goes up 40 percent. When it comes down, it takes weeks or if not months for it to come back down. Well, when we come back on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about Jeff Bezos, a liberal guy that owns The Washington Post and whether we think it's reasonable that he should be 81 billion dollars richer over uh, over the time of the of the pandemic and whether any of us are even a billion dollars richer when we come back. Thanks for joining in. Versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right. In the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa. In the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. On New York's news and talk station, 77 WABC. Uh, yes. Also known as the M15 bus. Magic bus. You know, Curtis, welcome back, by the way. Welcome back to Left versus Right. I'm Anthony Weiner, Curtis Sliwa on the right. Curtis will be joining us at the 3 o'clock hour. He has been kind enough t- to uh, let me get the training wheels off here uh, for the last hour, and I've really enjoyed the conversation. It uh, laid out a little bit of a thesis about the real cause of inflation or prices going up, and some people had some interesting feedback. We've also reached a place that I thought we might, where people kind of agree that uh, profits are perfectly reasonable, that tax taxes come in different forms. But profits, the raw profit that's being made by a lot of companies today, um, looks a little bit like or a lot like they're taking advantage of the insecurity we all have in gouging the market. Someone has an interesting uh, comparison that they'd like to make. Kenny in New Jersey, thank you for waiting online for so long. Are you there, Kenny? Anthony? Hey, Kenny. How are you, sir? All right, sir. Listen, here's my point. I'm no fan of Jeff Bezos. But if you what you said at the beginning of the show is true, you believe in a capitalist system. He put his money up. He put risk capital up at the beginning, and he built a company. Now, today, um, Amazon employs 1.1 million people in this country. Who are we? Who is anybody to say that he can't earn whatever he invested in his annual salary is 1.6 million dollars so his money is being made through his stock how do you stop that yeah i you look kenny you you you're exactly right he doesn't make 186 billion dollars in salary but he is the concentrated place that enormous amount of wealth is I don't begrudge him that. I think that he should be rewarded for the accomplishment of that, of launching Amazon. It's part of our daily life. It's improved our economy. It's hired a lot of people. The point that I'm making, though, is that, you know, here we are. We're sometimes at each other's throats about government policy should be this or that and who should be allowed to drill where when these companies are doing extraordinarily well. They're doing extraordinarily well and individuals are doing extraordinarily well. And the point I would make is that Jeff Bezos has some responsibility 
not to be poor. I mean, he can be rich, but some responsibility to say, all right, at a certain point, we're concentrating so much of our of our wealth in one person's hands. You know, I have a provocative question. Maybe I'll hold off and, and, and hear what, what Curtis Lewa has to say, uh, who's coming up in a few minutes. Um, maybe this is a good way to end the hour because it's, it, it might take us off on a tangent if we didn't end soon. You know, we hear a lot about Putin's oligarchs. Do we have an oligarchy in the United States of America? I mean, if we consider that an oligarch is someone who is very wealthy, has a large amount of the concentrated wealth of a country, that gets that way with the help of government and who stays that way by trying to influence government policies um, and and has a lot of influence, right? I mean, look, I, I Jeff Bezos is liberal. I'm a pretty liberal guy. He owns the Washington Post. I like reading the Washington Post. He owns Amazon. I have Amazon Prime. I watched a movie on Amazon Prime just last night. But we have something that looks a little bit like an oligarchy in this country, don't we? When you have... Two people who have 40 percent of the wealth, when you have 1 percent of the country that controls 80 percent of the wealth, then you really do have concentration of money and power that might not be healthy. And the reason I mention in the context of this show, left versus right, is that I don't know if left or right really believes that's good. Right. I mean, no one listening to this program right now is an oligarch. No one listening to this program right now is a billionaire. Unless Michael Bloomberg, if that's you listening, I appreciate it. But it, that type of concentration means that there is less money in our pockets. That's just the way it is. Um, I mean, we can all grow and we can all we can all benefit. But there's no doubt that that type of concentration has a cost. And I also ask something else. And like, and I think that 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 the previous caller makes a good point. Like he that Jeff Bezos took certain risks. He came up with a good idea, he, he played it out, now he wants to go and he's going into space, whatever it is. That's fine. But the fact remains, why is that in the interest of anyone, left, right, or anyone, to say, okay, yeah, let's make sure he has $186 billion or $200 billion or $300 billion. Who advocates for, for these? And, and when people say, well, these people, no, no, it's a company. It's a collection of interests. Yes, we all invest. My 401k is doing relatively well because I'm sure – I don't know this for sure. I'm sure I have some Amazon in there in, in my retirement account for my years in, in government service. I just think that sometimes we all should say, all right, one thing we can all agree upon is it's fine if a 150 billionaire does not become a 190 billionaire. That <laughs> I don't necessarily benefit from that. Uh, it's been great. On, on the other side, Curtis Slewo, much to the relief of many of you listening – uh, will be here with me for Left versus Right on WABC. By the way, you can always get this in the form of a podcast by going to the Red Apple uh, Podcast Network or going to Amazon. Amazon, listen to me. Going to um, to Android or Google, wherever you get your podcast. Download it. On the other side, Curtis Slewa will be with us. It's the Left versus the Right. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 77 WABC.